itself is not so much a fact to be taken for granted, but a brick-by-brick, self-built construct requiring constant maintenance. As if this wasn't at all enough order, people with autism must survive in an outside world where special needs is playground slang for retarded, where meltdowns and panic attacks are viewed as tantrums, where disability allowance claimants are assumed by many to be welfare scroungers, and where British foreign policy can be described as autistic by a French minister. Monsieur Lelouch apologised later, explaining that he never dreamt that the adjective could have caused offence. I don't doubt it. Autism is no cakewalk for the child's parents or carers either, and raising a son or daughter with autism is no job for the faint-hearted. In fact, faint-heartedness is doomed by the first niggling doubt that there's something not quite right about your sixteen-month-old. On diagnosis day, a child psychologist hands down the verdict with a worn, smooth truism about your son still being the same little guy that he was before this life-redefining news was confirmed. Then you run the gauntlet of other people's reactions. Oh, it's just so sad. What, so he's going to be like Dustin Hoffman in Rain Man? I hope you're not going to take this so-called diagnosis lying down. And my favourite, yes, well, I told my GP where to go stick his MMR jabs. Your first contacts with most support agencies will put the last nails into the coffin of faint-heartedness and graft onto you a layer of scar tissue and cynicism as thick as rhino hide. There are gifted and resourceful people working in autism support, but with depressing regularity, government policy appears to be about band-aids and fig leaves and not about realising the potential of children with special needs and helping them become long-term net contributors to society. The scant silver lining is that medical theory is no longer blaming your wife for causing the autism by being a refrigerator mother, as it did not so long ago, refrigerator fathers were unavailable for comment, and that you don't live in a society where people with autism are believed to be witches or devils and get treated accordingly. Where to turn to next? Books. You'll have started already because the first reaction of friends and family desperate to help is to send clippings and web links and literature, however tangential, to your own situation. Special needs publishing is a jungle. Many how-to-help-your-autistic-child manuals have a doctrinaire spin with generous helpings of copyright and trademark symbols. They may contain usable ideas, but reading them can feel depressingly like being asked to join a political party or a church. The more academic texts are denser, more cross-referenced and rich in pedagogy and abbreviations. Of course it's good that academics are researching the field, but often the gap between the theory and what's unravelling on your kitchen floor is too wide for these books to bridge. Another category is the more confessional memoir, usually written by a parent, describing the impact of autism on the family and sometimes the positive effect of an unorthodox treatment. These memoirs are media-friendly and raise the profile of autism in the marketplace of worthy causes, but I found their practical use to be limited, and in fairness they usually aren't written to be useful. Every person with autism exhibits his or her own variation of the condition. Autism is more like retina patterns than measles, and the more unorthodox a treatment for one child, the less likely it is to help another, mine for example. A fourth category of autism book is the Autism Autobiography, written by insiders on the autistic spectrum, the most famous example being Thinking in Pictures by Temple Grandin. For sure, these books are often illuminating, but almost by definition they tend to be written by adults who are already sorted, and they couldn't help me where I needed help the most to understand why my three-year-old was banging his head against the floor, or flapping his fingers in front of his eyes at high speed, or suffering from skin so sensitive that he couldn't sit or lie down, 
or howling with grief for 45 minutes when the Pingu DVD was too scratched for the DVD player to read it. My reading provided theories and angles and anecdotes and guesses about these challenges, but without reasons, all I could do was look on, helplessly. One day, my wife received a remarkable book she had ordered from Japan called The Reason I Jump. Its author, Naoki Higashida, was born in 1992 and was still in junior high school when the book was published. Naoki's autism is severe enough to make spoken communication pretty much impossible, even now, but thanks to an ambitious teacher and his own persistence, he learned to spell out words directly onto an alphabet grid. A Japanese alphabet grid is a table of the basic 40 Japanese hiragana letters, and its English counterpart is a copy of the QWERTY keyboard, drawn onto a card and laminated. Naoki communicates by pointing to the letters on these grids to spell out whole words, which a helper at his side then.